0: That teacher thought I was so helpful, but he had no idea. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. I was reading in 1 Corinthians 4 the other day and came across the following verses. From 1 Corinthians 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. And it says this, This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. I'd love to focus on these verses for a bit today in our final episode of season six of Good Story. I want to read these verses and ask and answer, if we can, the following five questions. Who's the apostle Paul writing to? What's he talking about? Why does it matter? Should we care? And how should we act in light of it? I'd like to look at these verses and then tell you a story. First, who's Paul writing to? he's writing to believers in the city of Corinth. Paul had visited Corinth on his second missionary journey, which of course we call it that. He didn't, but it was his. He likely was there around 51 AD for my History Buff fans. Like you're a fan of History Buff, not me. Once in Corinth, Paul met Priscilla and Aquila. They had come to Corinth a few years earlier from Rome. They left Rome in Priscilla and Aquila did. They left Rome in 49 AD because of an edict that had expelled all the Jews from that city. They were tradespeople. They were business people. They owned a tent-making business, which is most likely how Paul got connected to them because that was a trade he also practiced. But also, more importantly, they were believers, likely already believers when Paul met them because the conversations they're having seem to indicate that. And Paul never mentioned their conversion— which he likely would have if it would have happened while he was there in Corinth. When Paul was at Corinth, he met other believers, and he ministered with them as well. Along with Priscilla and Aquila, there was a man named Apollos, who also, after being trained by Priscilla and Aquila, was ministering to believers in Corinth and sharing the gospel with those who were religious, but not yet followers of Christ. This letter, Paul's first to the church at Corinth, as well as the second one, were unlike some of Paul's other letters. For example, the letter to the church at Ephesus was meant to be read by multiple churches. You read it and then bring it over to that congregation. It was meant to travel from house to house to encourage believers throughout the whole region. The letters to the church at Corinth, not so much. (laughs) They were written to the church there and were dealing with very specific things with which the people were struggling This book is filled, this letter is filled, we call it a book. Paul's like, I just wrote a letter, now it's a book. But this letter is filled with instructions on personal disputes, on the principle of Christian liberty in relation to pagan worship, which was going on all around them. It spoke about marriage and divorce and and counseled concerning a collection for the poor, and it addressed the proper ways to manage worship services and celebrate the Lord's Supper. So that's who Paul's writing to, the believers in the city of Corinth. Let's now look at these verses in particular and see what exactly he's writing about. Paul says, This then is how you ought to regard us. Who's us? Paul and those teaching, those sharing what God has given to them. Listen, it says, You should regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. What was Paul entrusted with? He was entrusted with the gospel. He knew. He knew the story that God's intent was to send Jesus to offer salvation, not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles as well. This was a mystery now revealed, and Paul was given this. He was entrusted with this mystery, and he was supposed to be faithful to share it faithfully with others. Paul went on and he said, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. And then he says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent, right? We can not know we've done something wrong, but it doesn't mean we haven't done something wrong. He's saying, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. He's the one. Therefore, he's telling these people, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He's going to bring to light what was hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. What's the issue here? What's Paul writing about? If we look for a second at just a few verses that precede this passage, you can see the people were having a trouble with boasting. There was some smack talk happening between the people who are following various leaders in this new faith of following after Christ. They were boasting about, hey, I follow Apollos. Someone's like, well, not me. I follow Cephas and I follow Paul. And they were talking about who was the wisest one. And they were judging themselves as very wise because of what they were choosing. And Paul wanted to remind them that they had no business judging or boasting about others or themselves because they simply didn't know the truth. What is he writing about? He's writing about how the people should look at their spiritual leaders, not with a critical spirit deciding who's the best one, who's the wisest one, who's doing it right, who's deserving of praise, or who should be disregarded and seen as incompetent, because the people simply cannot tell. Don't waste your time on categorizing others as you are unable to do so. Instead, Paul gave them an alternative point of view, which answers our third question. Why does it matter? Paul tells us why. It matters because when you judge or boast, you don't know the facts, and you can't judge accurately. It isn't your job. Instead of boasting or being critical about the leaders like, I'm such an Apollo follower, he's so wise. Well, yeah, but did you hear he didn't even know what was going on until Priscilla and Aquila filled him in? Forget Apollo. I'm totally following Cephas. He's so much better. But what about Paul? What about him? I don't find him that impressive. Instead of these types of arguments they were having, check out chapter, the first chapter if you wonder if it's true, instead of these arguments they were having, they needed to stop that. And instead, Paul offered them that alternative, view leaders as servants of Christ, those who come humbly being entrusted with the gospel to explain and share these mysteries that God entrusted to them. If they did so, not only would the inaccurate judging stop, but unity could start. Paul knew this. I also love what he says in verse 3. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. Paul says the reason it matters isn't because he cares. Guys, don't talk about me like that. No, it's not because he cares. He's like, I don't even judge myself. I don't waste time in that judging thing. It's because of the message. The message of Christ and his hope and his salvation would be missed, what with all the arguing and boasting it all. So stop, stop it. Don't judge before the appointed time because you don't know the truth. Wait, what? Somebody might think there's an appointed time? Well, when is that time? I'll be sure I'm there on time. That person will probably show up it, <laughs> Not me. When is the appointed time? Paul answers that too. The appointed time is when the Lord comes because he's the judge. (laughs) He will bring to light what was hidden in darkness and will expose what? The motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. This is how Paul lives. The next question we ask ourselves is, should we care? Yes, in fact, we should. (laughs) We should because we're all on the learning curve. And the Bible is here to teach us, so we should care about whatever it says, and we should carefully ask ourselves if there's anything there that we might take heed of, obey, learn from. Which brings us to our final question. How should we act in light of this verse? We're not in Corinth. We've never met Paul, Cephas, Apollo, Priscilla, or Aquila, for that matter. We don't even make tents. We don't know what's going on. But what truth is timeless here? There is an appointed time for judgment, and the Lord will expose the motives of the heart, and each will receive their praise from God. I totally want to preach that. That's the timeless truth. There is an appointed time for judgment, and the Lord will expose the motives of the heart, and each will receive their praise from God. Which reminds me of a story. When I was in junior high, I loved substitute teacher days. Not everybody did, but I felt giddy the moment I heard one of the regular teachers was out for the day. Again, before I tell this story, I do not fancy myself a good example in it, nor do I recommend my behavior. What I do recommend is the lesson from it. Okay? Just making that clear. Looking back, I can't remember who told me that a regular art teacher was gone for the day, but what I do remember was that I had plenty of time to think about a plan I had heard about it early in the day. Hey, we have a sub in art. Art was one of my final classes. So during English and math and lunch and while I walked through the halls, my mind was racing. I wanted to think of something great. Not the usual, not the sit on the tack, not, okay, guys, I'm going to cough. I'm going to cough twice. And then the third time I'll go like, (laughs) and when the third cough should come, I need everybody to slam your book on the floor and watch the teacher jump. We did that one frequently. Actually, one time I altered the plan a little bit and I said, okay, we're going to do the three cough book slam thing. But then I went and told everybody else not to do it except for one girl who never got in trouble. So when the time came, I was like, okay, ready? I'm thinking and I start the cough. (coughs) And at the third time she picks her book up and slams it on the ground and all of us sat there. And she got in trouble and had to sit out in the hall. And she felt horrible. And I felt kind of bad, too. She was a friend of mine, actually. Or we'd say, at a certain time, everybody break your pencil and then get up and go over and have to sharpen your pencil at the same time. So mostly, it was like a coordinated effort with a whole class. And that was kind of fun to think about. But this day, I had a different idea. I had all day to think about it. And I knew I needed an accomplice. And I knew exactly the person who would do it. Next to me sat a guy whose name was Tim. We sat next to each other just because of the way the alphabet landed. We were sitting alphabetically. There was four to a table. I don't remember what art project we were working on, but I remember grabbing Tim in the hall before he walked into art, and I said, Tim, I have an idea. And I told him the idea, and he was completely up for it. So I got so excited. We walked into the class, and we sat down. Tim sat down. He put his hood on and he tied it really tight. I grabbed a big piece of paper, not the like eight and a half by 11, not the 11 by 17, but the big kind of pieces of white construction paper that they used to have on the back table, at least in our art class in junior high. So I set one on there. I handed him a crayon. And then I went up to the substitute teacher and I said, hi, I'm not sure if our teacher told you about Timmy, but I'd be more than happy to make sure he has paper and crayons. And he looked at me and he looked at his notes and he's like, no. And I said, well, here's the thing. If Timmy doesn't have paper and crayons to draw, he gets really violent and starts like throwing things and running around the classroom and stuff like that. But he's allowed to be in our class, but I'll make sure that he has all the stuff if you want me to. And he was so appreciative. He said, oh, that would be great. Thank you. So the class started and Timmy had a stack of papers and he had some crayons and he was drawing, he was drawing, and he stayed in character the whole time. As the paper stack kind of got a little bit lower and a little bit lower, I'd raise my hand really quick and I'd say to the teacher, is it okay if I go up and grab more papers? And he would, oh yes, 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 yes. So I'd jump up and I'd grab papers and I'd come back to save the day and I'd give them to Timmy and I'd pat him on the back and I'm like, good job, Timmy. And so I'd give him more and he would draw and he'd smile at me and he drew and he drew. And we did this for the entire art class. The end of class came, we threw the papers away, we we had broken some crayons, so we we threw those away, and then we walked out of the class, we walked down the hall so that we wouldn't be heard, and we busted out laughing. I'm like, nothing can top that one! That was so funny! And we were high-fiving ourselves, and we thought it was great. Excuse me, I get a little choked up thinking about that. We thought that it was great. Then the next day came. And we didn't have the same substitute teacher, which is probably good. It would have been hard, probably, for Timmy to keep this up for too long. We went through the whole day, got to my art class, sat down in my seat. And before class started, my teacher said, "Um, excuse me, Kirsten, could I just see you for a second? Like, sure. So I went up, stood by his desk, and he said, yeah, could you please explain to me this note? I'm just going through the notes from the sub, and can you explain this one to me? The student, Kirsten, was so helpful with Timmy. She should be commended. <laughs> oh, I looked at him and I was like, well. And at that moment, I thought I could lie or I could tell the truth. And I thought, you know what? I'm just telling him the truth. So I told him, well, I had an idea. And here was my idea. And Timmy was up for it, and so we did it. We didn't hurt anybody, or we didn't do anything, but this is what we did. And we did it the entire whole class time, so that's why he thought I was so helpful. My teacher looked looked at me like he was trying not to smile, but I could tell he kind of wanted to, but he was like, you you cannot do that again. I said, nope, I won't. Don't worry, I won't. And I walked back to my seat, and I sat down. <laughs> It wasn't the end. It wasn't the end of all the other escapades, but I never did that one again. Here's what I remember from it, right? I think back to that verse that I just read. There's an appointed time for judgment, and the Lord will expose the motives of the heart, and each will receive their praise from God. Now, my art teacher was certainly not the Lord. But the substitute teacher certainly could not judge my behavior correctly. He saw me, he saw what I did, and he thought I was so helpful. And I was a jerk. I was making fun of him. I was wasting paper. I was breaking crayons. I was doing all of these sorts of things. But if the teacher went home, my guess is the teacher probably talked very fondly of me. Well, there's this girl. She was just so helpful. Oh my goodness. I don't know what I would have done. And that boy, he really went to town drawing and he just did so great he didn't know the truth. He did not know the motive of my heart. There was an appointed time for judgment and it happened the next day when the motive of my heart had been exposed. At that point, I did not receive praise. Absolutely not. What's our takeaway here? What's our takeaway? What has God entrusted us with? God entrusted Paul with the mysteries of the gospel and he was going around preaching and sharing those mysteries, and he would go from place to place to place to place, and some people would say, this is great. Thank you, Paul. We've never heard anything like this. He'd go some places, and people would say, he is just preaching because he wants some attention. He would go to other places, and he'd preach, and they'd say, oh, he is a heretic. Kill him. Everywhere Paul went, there were some different responses. And what does Paul say? I'm not going to worry about who's judging me. I'm not even going to judge myself. I'm going to allow the Lord to do that at the appointed time. Friend, God has given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's entrusted you with the truth of the gospel. You know Jesus. Use whatever God has given you. Don't worry about what this person is saying and what this person is saying and what that person thinks and what that other person thinks. There's going to be an appointed time when we stand before God. He knows the motives of our hearts and he can judge us. And the flip side of that coin is what? Check the motives of your heart. Why are we doing what we are doing? We should be doing everything. Like Paul said, I've become all things to all people so that what? The gospel can be preached. What do we want? We want our words. We want our lives. We want our attitudes. We want our hearts. We want the motives of our hearts, even if it can't be seen. We want that all to be pleasing in God's sight. The psalmist even wrote that. Oh, Lord, may the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. God is the one who can judge. It gives us great freedom to live knowing that he is the one. He is the one who knows. He is the one who sees. He is the one who calls us to be obedient, and he is the one who enables us and empowers us to do the work he has set before us. Don't judge others. You can't know. What might look good to you might not be so great. And what might look, hmm, hmm, you might not know the full story. There is an appointed time. Let God do that work, and you be faithful with yours. Thank you, Jesus thank you that you know us, that you love us, that you empower us. In your name we pray. Amen.